joy and an honor to share God's word with you this morning. It is my hope and prayer that um, as we dig into God's word, we might come away with a fresh appreciation of uh, who God is and uh, what he has done. Before we begin, let's open in a word of prayer. Great God and Father in heaven, what we do not know, teach us. Uh, what we do not have, give us. And may your name be honored and glorified in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10, the Lord Jesus Christ makes one of many outstanding and extravagant, extravagant claims. John chapter 10, verse 10. The Lord Jesus Christ made many such claims, and it's because of claims such as this that uh, the people he was ministering to frequently wanted to kill him. When you make extraordinary claims like this, the response of people naturally is to say, who is this person to make such claims? Who do you think you are? Dare I say it, who the hell do you think you are? So the Lord Jesus Christ comes, John 10 verse 10, and he says this. <coughs> the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Were you to conduct a poll or send out a questionnaire in heaven, all the saints who have died from Adam through to the person who died a couple of seconds ago, send out a questionnaire for them to fill in and ask them, did you experience abundant life? I put before you that the, the feedback you would get from that poll, from those questionnaires, will come back 100% yes. Lazarus, who died with sores at the gate of the rich man, will tick and he will say, yes, abundant life. The Christians who were martyred, burned at the stake, eaten by lions will come back saying yes abundant life <clears throat> the thief on the cross who died within moments of meeting his savior mm. and turning to him in salvation and faith will tick that questionnaire and say yes abundant life this promise is true Unfortunately, what we end up doing is we say, yes, the promise is true. And then what we go on to describe is not abundant life. It's just life. It's something. But it's not abundant life. But notice what the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 10 verse 10. Notice the contrast. The thief 
comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may have life and that they might have it abundantly. This is the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ puts forward time and time again as he's bringing forth the gospel. So what is this gospel call? What is this gospel that gives an abundant life? And what is abundant life? We find this in our text today, which is John chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 14. John chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 14. But before we read the passage, as is my custom, I like to make a running start. I would like to put this question before you. Another, one of, another, another question. Charismatic churches, churches of health, wealth, and prosperity, are full to the brim. They don't have chairs. They are, they are, they are constantly buying more chairs, trying to get people in. Right? They are filled and bursting. Why? What is it? Far too often, we as uh, Orthodox Christians... Uh, are like the, the person who uh, saw a tree with grapes on the branch. He could not climb the tree because the tree had some thorns around it. And so he says, okay, so let me try to jump and get the grapes. So he jumps, fails to get the grapes. So he says, okay, let me take a running start. Runs, jumps, fails to reach the grapes. He says, okay, let me go a little bit further and see if I can run as fast as I can and jump and try to grab the grapes runs back, jumps, still fails to get the grapes. And he goes, ah, they must be sour. <laughs> Far too often we are like that about this, uh, this thing. Like, oh, the charismatic churches are packed with people. It must be because they are, they are ah, it's, it's, it's all just fake. They're just lying to one another. Oh, you know, us who are orthodox, you know, the truth, you know, there are few numbers, you know. They'll never understand. <laughs> but why is it that these churches are packed? Do you think they don't know that they, that, uh, they, are, they are being sold snake oil? That they are being sold this, this dream of health, wealth, and prosperity? Why is it week after week after week, people flock there? Is it the magic money? Is it the miracles? Is it the great preaching, good presentations? Maybe it is. But it could also be that these people recognize that there is a need within them that they need scratched. There's something in them. There's something they desire. You may call it health, wealth, and prosperity, but there's something within them that they need to be filled. And so they go to these people and they are saying, tell us, give us a message. And these people actually have a message for them. They say, you come in here and we will give you health, wealth, and prosperity. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the other hand, says, you come to me and I will give you abundant life. I'll give you eternal life. You come to me and you will find rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He has an offer for them. The gospel is an offer to a needy soul to say, you come here and you will find something. The people are looking for something. They might have hope. 
They might be given hope that their illnesses and situations can be resolved, but whatever the reason, they keep going back because there's a need that they need, that they would like met in their lives. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 is a typical example of such a thing. She is a typical non-believer. She is what I would call a non-seeking seeker. She is a proper non-believer. Let's read John chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 14. And meet the non-seeking seeker. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Samaritan woman is a proper non-believer. By proper non-believer, I do not mean a non-believer who is neck deep in sin, constantly blaspheming God. Oh, I hate you, God. I hate you. Right? Not a foul-mouthed non-believer. Sometimes we, we make caricatures, sketch drawings of non-believers who are very rare. No, she's a proper non-believer. She's not a stark, raving non-believer. This one knows that there is something missing and looks for it everywhere except where it is truly found. In the words of the popular song, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. For her, that was what was filling the itch, man after man after man. Perhaps this man is the one. She was looking for something, constantly looking for something. And the Lord Jesus Christ offers her something. This is what makes this narrative so compelling. Here we see the offer of the gospel in full color before a non-seeking, seeking, non-believing. In order to give some uh, honor and pay homage to this pulpit, I have uh, done some Joe Shoko uh, alliteration. I have three points. The plain offer, the proud and arrogant disdain, and the prosperity gospel. Three Ps. The plain offer. What is the plain offer of the Lord Jesus Christ to this woman? Have you ever had an experience where you go to some sort of event and you're just making do, you're talking to people, you're uh, networking, and then after you're done, somebody approaches you and says, uh, do you know who you were talking to? You are standing next to that guy. You are standing next to that girl. That is somebody, right? That's a, that's, that is a person. The Samaritan woman had this kind of situation. She was talking to someone unaware, as Pastor Shoko said, of who 
he was. Jesus gives us a Samaritan woman a bit of a reality check as he says, if you knew the gift of God and you knew the person who was talking to you, you would ask him and he would give it to you. If you knew who you were talking to, your attitude would change. Sometimes I wonder if this is true of us in the church as well. Considering the vibrance, the vitality of our prayer meetings, or dare I say it, the absence of it, do we know who we are talking to? Do we know that he actually answers? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is there, he's telling the Samaritan woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask. The reason you don't ask is because you've got no clue who you're talking to. All these problems you've got going on in your life, if you knew who you were talking to, you would simply ask. And yet you don't. Day after day, week after week, you have issues in your life. Burdens are weighing heavily upon you. And yet you do not go to God. Why? Because you've got no idea who you're talking to. For you, no, he is just a, he's, he's an accessory. You wear him on your wrist on Sunday, like a nice watch, or your Sunday tie. And after it's over, you hang him in your closet and you don't touch him again the rest of the week. Because you don't need him. He's not necessary for life and living. But what does the Lord Jesus Christ tell the woman here? Lady, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of what you really need. You would ask and it would be granted. If you knew the gift of God and you knew who is talking to you, you would ask. So do we know the gift of God? Do we know what has been given to us? The offer that has been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 gives us a lovely indication of the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Because we have lost sight of this. We've lost sight of all of this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with dash spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What word have I skipped? Every. The poet Propaganda in his uh, famous uh, poem, The Gospel, uh, has a line where he says, and everyone and, and anyone and anyone and everyone. And by everyone, he means everyone. Right? When God says every, he means every. When a parent says, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> Neriah, I can buy you everything in this shop. Joy is using hyperbole. <laughs> right? Because when Neriah says, uh, Give me. He says, well, you know, <laughs> the, the type of the bath is just, it's a bit tricky right now, but I can get you these things from your choice section, right? But you said everything. When he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. Everything we need for life and living has been given to us. This is why every single saint in heaven is able to tick the box 
and say abundant life. In fact, the response from them is that I would have had a life even more abundant were it not for my entertaining of sin. If I entertained sin less, I would have experienced even more of an abundant life. We should ask God because he has provided for us everything that we need for life and godliness. He is not a father who is stingy, withholding his blessings, and yet far too often that is the gospel that we, we, we present to one another. You're going through a hard time, brother. Oh, don't worry. Jesus will come. He is coming, right? At some point, at some point, you will be delivered, right? At some point, it's, it's, a, it's a gospel of, you know, it's, it's some sort of future deck. Just bear with it. He is coming. Bear with it. He is coming. He has blessed us with every spiritual. What we need, God is not stingy. He hasn't lost sight of us. For a second, if he knows every single hair on your head, even the gray one that's beginning to sprout, he knows all of them. What makes you think in your current situation, if you ask him, if you call to him, you tell him what's actually going on, he will not minister to your needs. He has provided everything that you need in the heavenly places. If we knew who we're talking to, we would ask, we would seek, and we would knock. Does that not sound familiar? That's what he tells us. Ask, seek, and knock. Keep doing it until you get an answer. Why? Because your God is not stingy. If you knew the gift of God, if you only knew the gift of God, and yet you do not ask because you think you know God, but in reality you don't. You've made up an image of God in your mind where God is stingy. And that is not him. We Christians have been discipled by the world to not go to God in prayer because we are flirting with sin and darkness. Leaning on our own understanding. We'll never go to God. No, no, no. This, this is a financial problem, God. I've got it figured out. Right? All I need is $20. If I needed $150, I would talk to you. It's just $20. That's all. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just 20 bucks, Right? Why bother God about 20 bucks? If you knew who you were talking to. It's just a small issue in my marriage. It's just, I can't seem to communicate with my child right now. We are not bonding the way we should be. But it's, just, it's a small issue. It's a phase. That's what they've told me. And yet, week after week, other people are going to prosperity gospel churches where they are hearing that God actually has something to say to you. Granted, they are being lied to, but they have been told God has something to say to you, that there are answers, because God has actually said that he is able to provide. Ask, seek, and knock, he has provided. We flirt with the darkness. The way the Bible was written, particularly the Gospels, is that the stories... The narratives are put near each other because they connect. And so John 3 is next to John 4 for a purpose. Read with me John 3 verse 19 to verse 21. There's a reason John 3 and John 4 are near one another. John 3 gives you a little bit of a hint 
as to what John 4 is beginning to explain. John chapter 3, verse 19 to verse 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Would you like to know today why you do not go to God? It's right there. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Going before God will, will, will show you all those other places. You go to God and say, okay, God, all right, this is the situation. God, I want you to fix this table, right? This is the issue. God, this is the, ta- the table in my room is damaged. Fix it. And then God comes and he says, okay, um, so the table is damaged, but then the floor is also damaged, the roof is damaged, the walls are damaged, the ceiling is damaged. Let's fix this. But we don't want to fix this. We want to fix the table. And so God comes and he says, listen, I've come so that not, not just so that you can fix a small thing in your life. I've come so that your life may be abundant. Not so that the table can be in great shape. So that your life may be in great shape. But because of your unbelief, you are there saying, ah, no, God, it's just 20 bucks. That's all I need. It's just 20 bucks. So I'll come find you when it's 100. This is just 20 bucks. The plain offer is living water. That's what Jesus tells her. You love this darkness that you're dwelling in. But if you knew who you're talking to, you would ask him and he would give you living water. He would give you living water. What is this living water? It's completely different from the water that she's thinking about. This is water that is transformative in its nature. It doesn't just change you. It changes all of you. He even gives it a great description. If you, are, if, if you asked, I would give you living water. But instead, this is our actual reaction. Typical non-believer. Remember. The proud and arrogant disdain. What is the woman's response in verse 11 and verse 12? The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This is the natural response of the world when the gospel comes forward, when your lifestyle as a Christian comes forward and is, when the light is there, because they hate light and love darkness, they begin to look at it with disdain. Oh, there's a, there's, there must be something wrong with you. They begin to treat you with some level of, of arrogance. No, no, what do you have to offer us? They come here and say, what can you offer us with your old book? What can you offer us with your few numbers, your young pastor? your perceived lack of finances, right? That's the disdain that they have. What can you offer us? 
Notice she said, you don't, you don't even have anything to, deal, to, to get water from the well. What can you offer us? We've been doing this for years. What tools do you have to access this living water? And why does it look like you don't have it? That's the word to us. You go to work, you're trying to live, the, live out the Christian life, and they, they, they have a disdain for you. So you think you're better than us. Why? 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 <laughs> right? Why does that come up? The problem is you, with you Christians, you think you're better than us. Why does that come up? Because there's a way in which light exposes darkness. And if you're not getting that sort of friction, it could be that you're in the darkness with them. They recognize their own. That's why there's no problem. But notice the disdain that she had for Christ. We have been getting water from this well for a long time. She actually cites Jacob. Between Jacob and Jesus, there were 41 generations. That is a very long time. She is calling on a heritage of 41 generations. One of the longest dynasties that we can think of right now, if I, if I were to ask right now, what, think of a dynasty that is in existence right now, a powerful dynasty, still in existence right now, most likely you'd say the United States. Do you know that the United States has only spanned seven to ten generations? Only seven to ten generations. There are families in the United States right now that can trace their family tree to independence in 1776. That's how brief a period of time it is. She is citing 41 generations, saying, we've been doing this for a long time. We don't need you. What living water? Right? What is this? What do you have to offer me? When all you have is, is, is you, don't even have a, 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 you don't even have a dish, you don't even have a bucket to get the water from the well, what do you have? We have been doing this for years. This is the world you're facing. They have an arrogant disdain for you and your faith because they are what? They are blinded by the darkness. John 3, verse 19 to verse 21. There is no amount of apologizing for your faith or finding common ground that will cure this. They did this to Jesus and you are not greater than your master. There is no servant greater than his master. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, verse 24 and 25. There is no servant who is greater than his master. If they have disdain for, the, for, for what the Lord Jesus Christ offered, for his lifestyle, then they, they'll naturally have a disdain for yours. But the thing is, the proud and arrogant display doesn't change the fact that they are needy. Did it change the fact that her life was broken? That little insult that she flashed at Jesus? Hey, who are you? What do you have to get the water? Right? Did that change her situation? No. Her life was still broken. So we as Christians, when we are facing this situation, antagonistic world, putting all of these things before us, hey, you Christian, what do you have? You don't even have money. You don't have this. You don't have this. Us, we are fine, right? Look at our mansion. Look at our this. Look at our that. We go on the defensive. No, you know, actually, we have abundant life. It just doesn't look like abundant life. It just looks, you know, it just looks a little bit, a little bit different to how you, as we have Jesus, right? So <laughs> we, we, we make it seem, we, we, we become very defensive. 
But here's the thing. When you're done explaining abundant life, it should sound like abundant life. When you're done explaining glory, it should sound like glory. What we were discussing yesterday about marriage and the family, according to Paul, the woman is the glory of the man. Right? The woman is the glory of the man. That's not, that, that's not something you have to explain. That, that's, not, that's something you show. Do you see? It's not, when someone goes, oh, you know, your marriage is this, 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 you don't go, no, listen, let's sit down and like, okay. So what glory means is this. Therefore, you know, no, you show them. And this is where we get to the prosperity gospel. Vodi Bokam, who preached here, has a famous saying. He says that when you are pointing a gun at someone and they tell you, I don't believe in your gun, you don't start describing why the gun is potent. You don't go, okay, so this is a Walther PPK 350, right? Its bullets come out with a rifle spin. So when it comes and it hits you, it's going, no, you shoot him. <laughs> right? This isn't a conversation. We're not trying to... <laughs> yeah. You, you don't believe it? Fine. I will show you the potency. I don't believe you. Right? Thank you. The woman is the glory of the man. The feminists will come and say, Oh, you know, we are equal, whatever. We don't go and start fighting them back. Oh, yes. Oh, we are, we are this, we are that. No. We simply show them. Come. Come to my home. Come and see the glory. Right? I don't need special lighting. I don't need special effects. Right? <laughs> right? If I'm living a Christ-like life of a Christ-like husband, the woman is the glory of the man. Her glory is radiating. It, I don't need to start defending it. All I'm doing is I'm explaining what's going on. So what does Jesus do? Jesus tells her and then he shows her. What is this thing? What is this offer that I'm telling you if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask? Because that's our problem. Far too often, we, we want to be intellectual about it. We're trying to convince the world verbally. Oh, you know, this is, this is, this. Instead, the problem is that they are not even seeing the gospel played out in our lives. They are not seeing the real gospel at work in our lives. And so, what's the offer? What is the living water? Is the living water here? Are there springs, fountains of living water in here? If so, show us. Don't give us a five-page essay. <laughs> or this is what, no, show us. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does here. He shows us. He doesn't argue with her about, oh, so this is how I get the water and this is this. Instead, he tells her and then he shows her. Verse 13 and verse 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal 
life. The water that I give him will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Thirst is a need that is common to every man. Every single person in the human race feels thirst. It, is, it's, 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 it goes right across the board. And this is one of the things that, that makes this particularly helpful. Because sin has brought about issues within people's lives such that we don't need to struggle to show that sin has an effect on someone's life. Did Jesus struggle to show that sin had an effect on the woman's life? She, she was still being difficult, by the way. It's just that it's not part of the, our, our text, but I'll show you. Verse 15, the woman, still proud and arrogant, says, The woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, or have to come, and come here and draw water again. So Jesus, rather than trying to argue with her, Oh, no, no, what I mean is spiritual, whatever, he goes, Okay, go call your husband. Right? Go call your husband. Go. Go call him. I'm here. Right? I'm, I'm, you found me here. I'll be here. Go and call your husband. Bring him. Well, you know, he is there. Right? She struggled. Why? Because your household is broken. That was the issue in her life. We don't, need to, we don't need to do gymnastics to show the world that sin has affected their lives. It's in plain sight. It's there. That's what Jesus does. He shows that the sin is there. Thirst is common to all of mankind. There is a need that is there that it, it has to be filled. And what Christ is saying is that there is a reality within people's lives as a whole that only he can fill. And only he can fill it with living water. Only he can feel it. Christ makes this claim to the woman. And it's an understanding claim. It's a claim that I can't, I can't even make this claim to my wife. To say, I will, right? If you have me, you're good. All you need is me. But Christ makes it. He also makes it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 to 30. Just so that you see that this is not outside the ordinary for the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 to 30. The Bible reads, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever your situation is in life, there is something within you that gives you this thirst that has to be quenched. You will try to fill it with education, you try to fill it with money, friendships, sex, drugs, religion, family, you name it. And all of these are incapable of filling that hole. Every single non-believer you know is trying to fill this hole. If you are in here and you don't know Christ, you are trying to fill that hole with all of these things. And all of them are full of toil and suffering. But Jesus came so that these things can actually have meaning. The thing that we miss about this prosperity and abundant life is not that we get, they are not the gift 
All of these things are not the gift. It is that we experience God through them. God gives them meaning. Family by itself is just as futile as singleness. It is God that gives it meaning. Money is just as futile as poverty. But it is God who gives it meaning. This is why Lazarus, when you ask him in the heavenly places, when you ask him up there, was your life abundant? He'll be able to say, yes, it was. Because Christ gave my life meaning. It meant something. It was something. And everyone goes, yes, but you were sick. You, were, you, you had sores, dogs were licking it. Yes, they were. There's pain, there's suffering. Some people go through more than others. But at the end of the day, he's saying that whatever situation I am in, whatever situation you are in, Christ is able to give your situation meaning. He's able to bring living water to that situation. If there was no water on this property, this place would be brown, empty, barren. It would be a wasteland. You bring water. You bring water that is vibrant and active, water with all the nutrients, and this place will become a green garden with palm trees and flowers and everything great. That's what living water does. It comes in and it makes all things new. Is that the gospel that you're presenting? A gospel that makes all things new. Or is the gospel you're presenting, oh, um, yeah, so Jesus comes and he changes your life, but, right, everything else just, you know, it kind of remains the same. Yeah. Your family is just still going to have issues, it's fine, right? Right? Your marriage will still be broken, it's fine. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no healing, there's no, <laughs> right? There's no goodness that will ever come from your Christianity except the spiritual world. Is that the gospel you're presenting? Living water comes to this property and it only affects the spirit of the owner. Does that even make sense, people? Some of us have mansions, some of us have huts. But when living water comes there, the place is visibly changed. It's an abundant life. That's what he's promising her. Living water. This living water does not work like the water that the woman was talking about. This living water changes everything. Especially because, as Jesus Christ describes it, let's go back to John, John chapter 4. Listen to the description that the Lord Jesus Christ gives it. What does this living water do? Unlike the well, what does living water do? Verse 14. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him, two things. Will never thirst again. That's amazing. Even if he ended there, we would be done. Right? If If I drink of the Lord Jesus Christ, I... I will want no more. I'm good. Right? <laughs> right? I'm good. I have Jesus. Because I have, Je- I have Jesus. They pass over me for a promotion. They revile me. They hate me. All of these things. You see, I have Jesus. I am winning. I have Jesus. You've won this round, but I'm winning the war. I have Jesus. I would rather have Jesus than riches or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than all the stories humanity's ever told. I'd rather have him. Why? 
Because the riches of Solomon were nothing without Christ. The poverty of Lazarus was nothing without Christ. Is that the gospel that you're living out? The second thing that he offers with this living water is this. Verse 14b. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water. Not only does the water refresh you, you now become the spring of living water. When we disperse from here, every single Christian in here is a spring of living water that's being shipped out into the world. And what does a fresh water supply do wherever it goes? It makes things flourish. It makes things beautiful. Because that's what water does. That's what living water does. Do you see how this loser theology? Oh, it's just in your heart. Meanwhile, everything around you is failing. No. Pray. If you're new, you're in a broken home. Oh, my, my home is so broken. It's starved. You know, the people don't love each other. Chief, do you know who your God is? If you knew, you would pray. The reason you don't pray is you don't know. You don't actually know it. You love the darkness. You don't love the light. You don't know. But if you knew, you would ask. And it would change everything. These waters, this spring of living water within us are like the rivers. It's like the river that flowed through the Garden of Eden. It's one river. It flowed through Eden and it watered the whole garden. One river. It started out as one. It's divided into four rivers. It divided into the river Pishon, Gihon, Tigris, and Euphrates. We find this in Genesis chapter 2. Why is it important that it divided into four rivers? Right? Not, it started in one place, but it stretched out and affected so many different areas. This same water went to one area and made it fruitful to produce a certain kind of mineral of a different color, onyx, sapphire. It went into another area and it produced a different kind of produce. It went into another area and it produced a different kind of produce. This same well, this same water goes out and it changes everything. It goes into all of these places and it does things. It's living water. Then your life is, is, a, is just a poor reflection of all of this. Does your life look like living water is flowing there? Are you able to say, let your, right? let your living water flow over my soul. Let your Holy Spirit come and make me whole. Right? Sometimes we hate on these, uh, these, these, these songs that seem to be wishy-washy. Isn't that amazing theology? Let your living water flow over my soul. Let it flow through me, in me, and out of me. Christ preached a gospel that produced flourishing within the person and then out. If you drink this living water, you become the spring. Littered around Harare, there could be springs of living water because of this church. Watering, producing life wherever they go. People who are given $10 and make it 50. People who are given $100 and make it 1,000. People who are given whatever. Because naturally, fruitfulness flows with it. This is what they do. 
they are not affected by traumas and past experiences in that way. Not that these things don't happen, but they don't control you. It's living water. Do you know what happens when... Do you know what happens? If, if, if you're pouring water out of a hose, right? Pouring water out of a hose, and then you put some dye on the end of the hose, is the, is the water in the hose contaminated? Because it keeps pouring out. It's like, okay, you've put a bit of dye, you've contaminated the water, cool. Right? Five minutes later, the water's back and it's flowing, right? It, because the well is not corrupted. You can't corrupt the well. Christ is the one who has prepared the well. He's the, the Holy Spirit has put it in you. You think the devil is able to outmuscle the Holy Spirit to corrupt the well in your soul. Sin might be able to, to affect in some ways, but it cannot destroy what God has put in you. For I know and I am convinced that he who began a good work in you does all of this. This spring of living water is real. It affects everything. Imagine the people who think it just affects money and health. Yes, it affects that. Because Christians should not be lazy. They should be enterprising. They should be blessing others with all the things that they have. But the Christian should be the one in the hospital. Cancer ward. Deep cancer ward. And he's telling the people are saying, oh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, 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 um, you've got two more weeks to live. And the doctor's looking downcast, and the Christian tells him, Chief, don't feel sorry for me. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to beat my Lord. You've just told me when. <laughs> right? Where's, <who? laughs> where's, the, where's the bad news? Where's the, where's the bad news? You've just, <laughs> right? Like, oh, no, you don't understand. It's death, right? And now you've got, you're telling him, my life had meaning. All of these things. Oh, no, but how can you say that? You didn't have, you weren't rich. What do you mean I wasn't rich? I wanted nothing. Everything I needed, the Lord supplied. Every single thing. I did not have to start compromising and saying, no, um, so this is what I really wanted, but then I settled, and so God gave me what I settled for. No. It's a bad example. It might be a bad example, but here it is, right? The woman who you have married is God's gift to you, right? It's a gift. Cherish, right? Who are you? You, you are exactly where God intended for you to be. The living water should flow in all of these things, in all of these areas. This is the same living water that is spoken of in Ezekiel 47, verse 6 to verse 12. And with this, I'll wrap it up. Ezekiel 47, verse 6 to verse 12 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. When you have time, begin reading at verse 1. Ezekiel 47, verse 6 to verse 12. The Bible reads, And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Um, just, let me read verse 1 so that you know what he had seen. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing, water was coming out from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. <laughs> 
the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. What he's describing here is this. The prophet is looking at the temple and he's seeing water coming out of the temple. It's coming out from under the temple. And he actually begins to notice and he says, actually, the water isn't just coming out from under the temple. It's coming, the place it's starting is from the altar. Starting there. And it's flowing out from under the temple. Verse 6. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me to the bank of the river. As I went back, back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters into the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there and the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. I can stop there and it's amazing. But the prophecy is not done. Verse 10. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Eneglem. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for healing. Come on! What are we doing? Do you see how we, we are such an, we can be an embarrassment to the gospel? Because we are, are we, is this the gospel that has shaped our lives? Non-believers in here should be looking at this and knowing for a fact, I know for sure what he's describing isn't me. I know for sure, I might be a vibrant entrepreneur, I might be Vusit and the choir, you know? Right? Uh, what, what, what does he call himself? Some sort of, you know, uh, entrepreneur investing in everything, but that's not me. It's not. Because this can only come from a changed life. This is the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed to the woman. He said, your life is broken. It's broken. Right now, you're living with a man who's not your husband. You've had seven husbands. Is this, is this something worth bragging about? Is this something where you should be looking at Christ, at your Lord and Savior, and telling him, we don't need you because we've had this world that has been feeding us for a very long time? Is that anything to, hold, to like hang your hat upon? No. If you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. So the offer today that is before you is do you know the gods you serve? Do you live like it? If you do, ask him. Ask him. He will give you living water. He is not stingy at all. If anything, what the scriptures show us is that we don't ask enough. We don't ask enough. I'll give one example, then I'll, 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 I'll land the plane. All right. 
there's a musician in Zambia um, uh, who became a political activist, right? A political activist. And because he's known as a musician, wherever, wherever you go to speak, people would go to him and say, hey, you know, I like your music. I think you're very brave. Um, and you know, politics in Zambia, when you speak out against the, 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 the ruling party, yeah, uh, you are risking a lot. You are risking livelihood, opportunities, and the like. So um, people went to him and they said, you know, we think you are really brave because of the way you speak out against these issues. And the guy's response was quite profound. I've remembered it since I heard it the first time. He said, actually, um, I'm the weak one. You guys are the brave ones. You guys, are, you guys are the strong ones. I'm weak. Because for me, when they step on me, I cry. When the pressure is on me, I cry. But you guys, nah, you guys are strong. They have been putting their foot on you for years and you haven't cried out for anything. You've got this. <laughs> Isn't that the Christian world? Issues in your life, your life is falling apart. You can't even show up for a prayer meeting. Your prayer requests are vague. The non-believers around you are saying, what's this? <laughs> what is this? What is this? No, how about you ask him? How about you ask him? Is that a, isn't that a novel concept? Ask him. He's been saying this since Matthew 4, 5, and 6, right? This is the this, this is beginning of the New Testament. If you want to know communion with God, this began Genesis 1 and 2, right? So a, a, a com- having union with God is not strange. It's not, it's not a novel concept. This living water is available. And this is the gospel of prosperity, real prosperity. Prosperity regardless of your circumstances. A prosperity that you can write a check and it will be cashed every single time. We don't need to apologize for Jesus at all. There's nothing to apologize for. There's nothing. Our problem is we don't trust him enough. The job of the pastor, the elders, is to get the church members to trust in God. Because it's difficult. But the living water is there. Are you going to ask him for it? Or will you keep pretending that you are strong enough? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we pray that you might minister to us. Help us to humble ourselves. And come before you. Help us to be honest with you and ask. Help us to be honest with one another about what is actually going on in our lives. About our need for you. Our need for a savior. May our lives be a testimony to the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. There's no such thing as water or living water that is not visible. Wherever it goes, it produces life, fruitfulness, and flourishing. May Berea and Reformed Baptist Church be such a church. If there is anyone in here who does not know you, oh God, who recognizes the fact that their life is lacks this living water, humble them. Give them no rest until they come to you in repentance and faith. All that you have promised in the scriptures is before us. 
Give it to us, for we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.